You're listening to KALX Berkeley, 90.7 FM, and this is Method to the Madness, a show from the Public Affairs Department that celebrates the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar, and today we have Brewster Kale, an internet pioneer who is an engineer, entrepreneur, and activist advocating for universal access to knowledge for all through his project, the Internet Archive. Stay with us. We're trying to bring universal access to all knowledge. Can we build the Library of Alexandria version 2? Can you actually take everything ever published, all books, music, video, software, web pages, anything ever meant for public distribution, make it one, preserve it forever, and to make it then available to anybody curious enough to want to have access to it? So that's the, that's the basic worldview that we're part of. Uh, we're not trying to solve the whole thing. But anything that's missing, we want to try to get to that goal. That's such an amazing and um, inspirational vision. I mean, because it's almost impossible to catalog everything, I would think. It's but, actually quite possible. Is it? Let me counter that. It's not it, infinite? It's not. It's not at all. Um, so if you take, um, oh, I don't know, take, take the Library of Congress, with the largest book or, or print library in the world, and by far, about 28 million books. The next ones down are, are things like uh, the British Library, the uh, Harvard, New York Public Library, and they're kind of half the size. Um, so the Library of Congress is gigantic. But if you take a book, it's about a megabyte, about a megabyte a book. So if you have 28 million megabytes, it goes mega, giga, tera, 28 terabytes. And that's 28 terabytes is seven hard drives that you can buy in Best Buy. And that means in one shopping cart, for less than you pay in rent in a month, you can have all of the disk storage that would store all the words in the Library of Congress. <laughs> so it's doable. And if you do out the math on the other things, like movies and music and web pages, it's all completely within our grasp. It's just because the technical guys have gotten data storage to be so, so dense. And then the access part is this internet. The idea of, of getting it to somebody in Kenya um, or East Oakland is completely possible. So when did you begin the process? Uh, this, this really crystallized for me back in 1980 to go and build, uh, try to build the library. But there were a lot of things missing, so I tried to help build some of those, those pieces uh, leading up to a system that came before the World Wide Web uh, called Waze uh, to try to get people to come online in an open way. But the web was better, um, so I jumped onto that and then um, built a couple of companies along the way to try to get the publishers online. Um, but by, 19, by 1996, things were going uh, well enough. All the publishers were getting online. The basic uh, infrastructure was moving along, not just because of me, but because everybody was working together towards building that. I could say, okay, let's build the library. So we started collecting the World Wide Web in this new organization called the Internet Archive, archive.org, and we started archiving the, uh, the World Wide Web. And we tried to... We, robot crawlers basically the same things that operate the search engines like Google that just go and visit every website and download every web page and we would basically do every web page from every website every two months and we'd start again and do it again do it again do it again do it again is that and how it, long it takes to crawl the whole web that's how long we give it and then because the web is effectively infinite you know that was my question that, that's it's, what I was it's, wondering you know there's these Sites that just play chess with you. So, I mean, so, so you know, there's infinite numbers of, of computer generated web pages. Sure. Um, but 
Yeah, it takes us about two months to go and, and gather up what it is that's in a modern search engine. How do you determine which sites are are um, are we try know, to do all of them. archive? We try to do, we try to do all of them. We bias towards the popular ones, so uh, we try to get something from everybody, and then for the uh, ones that are used a lot, then those are the ones we try to go deeper. But we're talking hundreds of millions of websites. We we now have two hundred and forty billion pages. Um, and in 2001, we made a Wayback Machine, so you could go to archive.org and type in a URL, and um, if we have it, we'll show you all the different versions we have. You can start clicking around and seeing the web as it was. So the idea of, of preserving this amazing thing that we're building, which is this World Wide Web, is quite doable, even by a nonprofit. So we started working with the Library of Congress, we work with a bunch of different national libraries, we work with about 200 university libraries um, and state libraries and archives that they help fund bits and pieces of the Internet Archive on the on the web collection. It's completely exciting and it's working. Uh, we get about a half million people a day using just the Wayback Machine itself. Wow. And so it's, it's a popular resource uh, out there. But then we thought, okay, well, once this is going along, what else is there to do? So the, another endangered medium was uh, television. And I've had a love-hate relationship with television. Uh, I burned television. Anyway, so I watched too much as growing up. But it is still a very influential, pers- pervasive, and persuasive medium. And nobody else seemed to be, in the cultural area, seemed to be doing a good archive of it. So in the year 2000, we started, we hit the record button. We started 20 channels, 24 hours a day, DVD quality. So Russian, Chinese, Japanese, Iraqi, Al Jazeera, BBC, CNN, ABC, Fox, whatever. All these, and then just crunched forward. We're now up to around 100 channels from 35 countries. Um, And we made um, these available just a few months ago. Um, At least the television news from the United States from the last three years. We wanted everyone to be a, a John Stewart research department before the last election. So that people could go and um, type in words to try to find out what did their what did politicians say before about particular things, what did pundits say. So you could basically go and quote and compare and contrast the elements that require are required for critical thinking. So we wanted this to happen, so we made this available um, publicly, and you can get thirty second snippets of these um, news programs, and you can watch those. And if you want the whole program. Then we print it on a DVD and send it to you, and it charge twenty five bucks. So the idea is to try to get this um, uh, ecosystem to work, so documentaries can come out. It, it makes it easier for people to look at television news and critique it, because otherwise it just flows over, and it's just these guys can say anything they want and get away with it. So how are we going to basically hold them accountable, uh, make it so that this, these uh, materials are referenceable? and making it by URL so you can go and refer into news over a period of time. So it's really fascinating. I, I, I wonder, though, if you could explain to us about um, by copyrights. Yeah. So, so you know, you mentioned a lot of big net television networks right. um, that probably, you know, they have ownership over the content in some regard. How's that work? Um, well, everything's copyrighted forever, it seems, or at least... I don't know. I, I'm not a lawyer on this, this stuff, but we are a library, and the libraries have copyrighted materials. That's what, that's what libraries are full of. And there are certain things libraries can do with them. Um, for instance, lend them out. 
So let's take books. So we digitize books. We've digitized a couple million books, uh, and we give them away for free. And so they can be downloaded in bulk. Uh, we think that that's very important. It's kind of a counter to some of the, the project by Google with their with those libraries. Uh, and we worked with the uh, University of California, and we had a scanning center in uh, Richmond, California, and at UCLA, uh, digitizing books. And we digitized about three hundred thousand books from um, those collections, and they're available for free on the net uh, for any use at all, because they were old enough to be out of copyright. But for the newer ones, the ones since 1923, a lot of them have rights problems. So we digitize these also, um, largely based on book people donating the books to us, and then we make them available to the blind and dyslexic, and because we can so the blind and dyslexic, if they are blind enough for the Library of Congress to get uh, access, they can have access to now 500,000 modern books, all the way through Harry Potter, whatever, uh, to be able to have um, free uh, and easy access to these materials. But then we wanted to go further than that. Um, so for the books from the 20th century that we've scanned, for the 21st century we would try to buy books and then lend them out one at a time. So there's only one person that can have a copy at a time using the same controls the publishers use to control the distribution of their imprint works. So we, we buy these books and we lend them out. But the publishers aren't selling us that many books yet. Um, so we've digitized a lot of these books, say from the 20th century, and then we lend them out. So uh, you can go to openlibrary.org, which is another site of ours, and then you can go and click and uh, download a PDF of this, but it's one of these special weird PDFs from Adobe that melt in your hands after two weeks. Self-destruct. It's a self-destruct in that sort of uh, Mission Impossible kind of way. Um, or you can check it out and read it on the screen, and then while you're reading it on the screen, nobody else can check it out. If you check it back in, then somebody else can use it, and if you forget to check it back in, then it automatically is checked back in so you don't get any library fees, and it um, uh, then somebody else can check it out. And we get, oh, a couple thousands to three thousand people uh, checking out a book a day um, uh, I think so on that order so you become um, like a member of the archive just like yeah you, you get a library card it's free so if you go to openlibrary.org you can go and borrow books if you go to archive.org you can borrow TV programs um, and on the website uh, on the wayback machine that's just free and open use um, is there a legal entity for a library or is it just the, the kind of the no, you walk like a duck, quack like a duck, you're a library. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, we were actually, um, there is a particular regulation to be able to get some bandwidth subsidy. Um, you have to get the state librarian to go and say that you're a library. And California state librarian, Susan Hildreth at the time, uh, said that we were a library, which actually turned out to be very helpful because at one point the, the FBI came and wanted, actually demanded, information about a patron and what that patron had done on the Internet Archive. And, well, libraries have a long history of not liking these uh, sorts of requests, um, and it, but it was done with the Patriot Act, these national security letters with a gag order. So they, basically they said, okay, you're going to have to give us this information and never tell anybody that you've even been asked this question. And... Um, well, it turns out that there's no way to say, uh, no, can we ask a court for this or anything like that. It's the only way uh, you can say uh, to push back, uh, we were advised by the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the ACLU, was you had to sue the United States government. 
So we sued the United States government with, with their help, and, um, uh, and we won. The FBI backed off immediately. They didn't really need that information, um, and so, we're, uh, so they backed off. Um, and one of the things that was to our advantage was that we were a library. Oh, so because of the state library, it yes, verified had, had, had verified uh, for this particular use that we were a library. But but there are no real laws saying what a library is. Pretty much, you can tell them when you see them. You're listening to KALX Berkeley ninety point seven FM. University and listener-supported radio. This is Method to the Madness, a show from the Public Affairs Department that explores the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar. Thanks for joining me. And today we've been speaking with Brewster Kale, internet legend and founder of the Internet Archive, about open access information and his project to catalog the output of humanity. Back to our interview. Yeah, so, I mean, just the, the scope of the operation in terms of bandwidth and storage, um, could you have ever dreamed when you, when you envisioned this in 1980 that these types of... Um, oh, yeah, it's all very predictable. We're, we're pretty much on path. I mean, it was these discussions uh, back in like 1983 with Richard Feynman, a physicist, and uh, with, with Stephen Wolfram, who, who's gone on to make Mathematica and, and things like that. Yeah, we did out the, 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 the charts of sort of when would we be able to have it be cheap enough to put all books online and when would movies and when would all these other things come online. And Yeah, we're pretty much on, on, on the path. It's actually a little slower than we predicted. So actually, I would have imagined we'd be here by now. It certainly is assumed. I mean, if I, I talk to yeah, you know, younger people and they think, isn't the Library of Congress already online? And it was like, uh, no, uh, it's really not. And uh, the, the Internet's still fairly thin in terms of the information that's on it. If you really know some subject area, you can look around, and there's something on everything, but there's not the depth. Um, so that's the key thing that we've got to do now is fill out the rest of, of what the best we have to offer. How do we make it so that everything that we want is online? So we've digitized... If, if you take the, the total goal on, say, books of 10 million books, the Library of Congress is 28 million, but a 10 million book library is a good, solid library. That's the University of California system or Princeton or, um, uh, or Yale. It's sort of a 10 million book collection. Um, we're at about 2.5 million. So we're a quarter of the way there. How many per day? We're doing about 1,000 uh, to 1,500 a day. How does it happen? Um, there are scanning centers in 33 libraries around in eight countries around the world that are operated by the Internet Archive. And uh, these are scanners that were designed and built by some Burning Man guys uh, over in Berkeley. Um, and there are two digital cameras that take pictures of each page. We raise and lower glass to flatten the page to get a good image. Um, and basically you can digitize a book in about an hour, all told, the cataloging, the whole shebang. QA is searchable, and then it's then it's put to a computer, and it munches on it for about twelve hours. It makes it then searchable. It does the optical character recognition. It makes it into PDFs and into the talking books for the blind, um, on and on. All these different formats, and it makes it as available as possible, and copies it to another 
uh, storage computer and a backup computer in two different locations. So in case things go down or things disappear. Um, so the idea is to, to try to give a permanent access to this book and it's now in its digital form. The physical book is not damaged, so we don't break the books. Um, we're kind of obsessive about books. We love books. So, uh, And for the books that don't go back onto library shelves, we actually go and store and um, have done high-density storage in Richmond, California. So we have a warehouse that now has 600,000 books, and it's growing at a couple thousand a day of books that are donated from all sorts of places. And we want one copy of every book ever published so that we can digitize it um, and either put it back on a library shelf or put it back away. So every book ever published, I mean, that's not infinite, but it's a huge number. Like, how do you know what the number is? Well, the library card is 28 million. It's probably not that much bigger than that. So maybe, you know, what, 50 million? So 100 million? Western history or... No, no, everything. Everything. Yeah, just go back to Sumerian tablets. I mean, it's, it's not... It's just, from a computer perspective, it's not that big. And if you take, say, movies... Um, the, the number of movies that have been made for theatrical releases, there are a couple hundred thousand of them. And that's kind of it, because they're expensive to make. And uh, actually, about half of them are Indian. So, uh, so the idea of even doing all movies is quite doable. Um, music? Well, during the disc era, so 78s, long playing records and CDs, a few million? And that's kind of the number of published. I mean, there are gigs that people, you know, play in local bars. So a lot of them aren't recorded. But we have 100,000 concert recordings uh, from about 5,000 bands. There's a tradition started by the Grateful Dead of doing tape trading. Um, so as that moved on to the Internet, people started trading on the, online. And so we offered to, to play a host to these materials. As long as nobody got upset, if people wanted it to happen. And we get a, two or three bands a day um, saying, yes, we're up for this. And the fans themselves go and put the materials on the Internet Archive site. So for archive.org, we've got everything The Grateful Dead has ever done, plus about 5,000 other bands. That makes up about 100,000 concert recordings. So that finding those ways of working with the system such that um, we're not trying to interrupt commerce. We're just trying to be a library, just a digital one. Yeah, so there's, there's, it sounds like there's a crowdsourcing element if you've got your users oh, yeah. uploading a lot of information. Oh, absolutely. Thousands of things a day get uploaded to the Internet Archive. And they're, they're different from what goes up on YouTube. I mean, if you poke around, it's sometimes not as easy to find, you know, whatever, but at least they're there for the long term. You're listening to KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM. University and listener-supported radio. This is Method to the Menace, a show from the Public Affairs Department that explores the innovative spirit of the Bay Area. I'm your host, Ali Nazar. Thanks for joining me. And today we've been speaking with Brewster Kale, internet legend and founder of the Internet Archive. Back to our interview. So my listeners understand the context of, you know, there's a really tragic story of Aaron Schwartz that just happened right now. And so there is this question of, of public domain information and what's open. Can you, as a leader of the, uh, the vanguard of this movement, can you just explain a little bit about his story and uh, what happened? What a tragedy. Aaron Schwartz, Schwartz, a good friend, and he worked here at the Internet Archive, was a, uh, was a guiding light. Um, 
he, he sort of entered the field when he was 14 years old and helped form Creative Commons. And when we did the Internet Bookmobile, making free books for people, he was involved and in, and in, in playing a role, peripheral at that at that realm. But he was central towards the creating of the Creative Commons, which was and kind of the open source. He was very young when he did, did that, right? 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, and he lived a very public life. He would just publish everything. He sort of lived on the net. He was... I learned what an open source life was like by watching him. Um, so he, he didn't really have private journals. He kept it public. Um, and he strove to bring public access to the public domain. And you'd think that this is, of course, you know, if it's public domain, shouldn't there be public access to it? And I was like, well, there's some people that aren't that interested in it. And he ran up against them. So he made uh, court records available that were being sold by the government to try to make cost recovery. So he would uh, made a system to try to make it um, such that court documents that were public domain went onto the Internet Archive. And this was working with some folks at Princeton and Carl Malamud, who lives up in, in uh, Sebastopol, um, the Internet Archive, all working together on this. But he did it so fast, because he was a good, good at writing scripts, that uh, the library that he was downloading them from um, got noticed by the database provider, which happened to be the government, and they called the FBI on him. They called the FBI on somebody to go, and because they're reading the public domain too fast? But this is what happened. And then uh, the, the FBI found that they didn't have anything they could uh, hassle this um, guy with, so they, there wasn't an ongoing investigation, and then Aaron uh, wanted to bring public access to the Google books that were done, um, that were in copyright, that were digitized from places like Berkeley uh, and others. And, uh, and so he went and freed those. And actually, there's Google, to their credit, didn't complain. Um, but the libraries, some of the libraries complained to us because Aaron went and put those books on the Internet Archive again, and we pointed back to Google to see where they came from. And... Um, but they're public domain, and so it's basically just liberating the public domain. And when uh, Aaron started downloading a lot of journal literature from a from a digital library called JSTOR, um, a nonprofit, uh, JSTOR got all upset and uh, told MIT, which is where it was going, was being downloaded. There's somebody that's downloading too many articles, and uh, MIT went and chased down uh, Aaron and. Uh, I think made the tragic mistake of calling the cops. And once the cops were involved, then they escalated to the federal government, and the federal government put it to the Secret Service. And they made a federal case out of some young guy going and downloading too many old journal articles um, and not even making them publicly available. Maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't have, but um, what's, the, what's the problem? And this went on for a couple years, and um, according to the family and his girlfriend, made him so depressed and it really dragged him down that it contributed to his deciding to commit suicide last week. And uh, absolute tragedy is a real star of our community. And the federal government came down on somebody that was trying to do something fundamentally good and actually is something that happens all day long every day. People are downloading masses of things from the Internet Archive and other digital libraries all the time. And for some reason, um, they thought 
This kid should be stopped. And it's so counterintuitive. I mean, it's public domain information. That's what I think as, as you know, people who are growing up on the Internet, many, many of the people listening to the show are students. They don't know anything besides having this wonderful tool at their disposal to find all the information that they could possibly ever want. But it seems with this story and where, you know, it highlights the fact that this isn't something we should take for granted. It's something that we oh, no. have to be actually actively protecting and fighting for. Yes, we should be actively protecting the Wikipedias, the Aaron Schwartz's, the, uh, uh, I'd say the Internet Archive, the Carl um, uh, Malamud's public, um, publicresource.org, um, that are people that are trying to build open access models. There's, there's a bunch in the Bay Area. There's the Public Library of Science, which is trying to, to uh, get around the monopoly of of some of these journal publishers that are um, not allowing um, new computer research data mining techniques to be applied. So there's uh, real problems to what's going on out there. There's a schism. There's a there's a conflict. And the Aaron Schwartz suicide, I think, really highlighted that we're not out of the woods. That there are people that want to lock everything down. They want cell phones that you can't go and play with. You, they want to make it so that you can't go and install any software you want to on a computer. Um, that you can't just read anything, or if you do read anything, that they'll know about it, and and that this type of thing has got to stop. It, it really doesn't lead to a world that we want to live in. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And you know, as someone who's created an a organization that is really dedicated to trying to advance you know, the acquisition of knowledge for the human race. I wanted to ask you, how do you create an organization that endures? Like, obviously, what you're trying to do is create something that goes on forever. Um, yes, well, archive.org and openlibrary.org, will they go on forever? I hope so. But the, what happens to libraries is they're burned. Historically, that's just what happens. So Library Congress has already burned once. Library of Alexandria, of course, is famous for not being around anymore. So design for it. So make copies. Um, so put other copies in other places. So we've already donated um, early on, about 10 years ago, a full copy of, of the web collection to the Library of Alexandria in Egypt. And there's a partial co- um, copy of our, uh, of our collections in Amsterdam. So when there are five or six of these around the world, then I think I can sleep. Because the, what happens is they burn, and they're burned by governments. Now, it's not a political statement. It's just historically what happens. The new guys don't like the old stuff around. They're sorry about it afterwards, and they, you know, 50 or 100 years from then, they, they tend to want to have it back. Um, but often it's too late. But if we had other copies in other places, we could make this work. And this takes real work, real, um, real money, effort. Um, could use all the help we could... Uh, any any volunteers or any effort from the University of California community? Um, we're just over in San Francisco. Would love to have visits. Would love to have uh, ways to work with more people. Great. That, that's a great segue to my last question. How do uh, if our listeners want to get involved in fighting this good fight? How do they get involved? Um, please visit archive.org and openlibrary.org. Um, take a look. Play around with it. Try uploading some things. Try downloading some things. If you're, uh, if you've got extra books, we want to, uh, we'll preserve one of every different book that we can get a hold of. We only have six hundred thousand, so we probably don't have the books that you've got. 
Um, we could use volunteer effort. We could um, people that do collections, technical people, all sorts of mechanisms of getting involved in the Internet Archive and the open access movement in general. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much, Brewster. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Method to the Madness on KALX Berkeley 90.7 FM. Thanks for joining us. And thanks to Brewster Kale. As he's mentioned, you can learn more about his organization, archive.org. You can learn more about us at methodtothemadness.org. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you in a couple weeks.